Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Well, we are back in the new year, and uh, it's time to kind of put a nail in... I'm going to ride this analogy to the end. Time to put a nail in the old year by recapping the best part of last year, which was Mandalorian Season 2. I think that's close enough. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it It was amazing, and I'm excited to talk about it. First of all, I hope you all had a great life day. Um, <laughs> uh, I was trying to do a Wookiee roar, but that uh, wasn't going to... Uh, yeah, you're I'm better than mine. I'm just going to applaud. I'm not even going to attempt it. Uh, before we get into our recap, though, we have two... Uh, one, one really exciting announcement. So for, for quite some time now, uh, Electronic Arts has been the exclusive video game partner of Lucasfilm uh, due to an exclusivity contract. That contract is expiring in 2023, and uh, just uh, this week, um, Lucasfilm announced that Ubisoft's Massive Entertainment will be making a, a, a Star Wars game. Sounds like it's going to be like a role-playing game, I think, open world. Oh, I think they confirmed open world. Yeah, well, That should be interesting. Yeah, like uh, Massive Entertainment, like they made The Division um, and I hope it's not like a looter shooter, but I, you know, Steven, you and I played the division too. And it, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, we we played it. through it, but like, I mean, look, I'll, if they give us like open world, I don't know, Mandalorian, I would be okay with that. Oh, that would be traveling planet to planet, picking up bounties, you know, I mean, then in that. season two, Dave Filoni shows up and suddenly Ahsoka's there and Bo-Katan is <laughs> there and you're on Mandalorian. Yeah, let's, uh, uh, well, don't forget Filoni's got to show up in his X-Wing. Okay. And we're talking... His X-Wing, not the other one we'll be talking about within this episode. Exactly. Um, but I'm excited. Like, you know, it's probably two years out because the deal expires in 2023. But the nice thing is they're starting work now, uh, which is awesome. So hopefully in 2023, maybe 2024, the game's ready to go as soon as that contract expires. Well, also realize 22, we're going to have celebration. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. They get a sneak peek. So, you know, it, it sounds like. EA's deal is not, um, it, you know, EA's not done with Star Wars games from the sound of it. Um, my guess is their studios will probably make games here or there, but it won't be exclusive, and Lucasfilm can actually make deals with various studios depending on their strengths and weaknesses. So I think it's they're doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. Also, I have to, I mean, William, you know, I've talked about this at length. I, I have been largely disappointed with EA's 10-year deal for Star Wars, which gave us Battlefront 1, Battlefront 2, and Jedi Fallen Order. Fallen and Order squadrons. was fantastic. Yeah. And Squadrons, which was also good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the first, like, eight years of this deal have... Uh, I mean, in the words of Lando, this deal's been getting worse all the time. Except so, the last two years, you, where it got better. Except you, for the last two you years, were, where it got better. You were going to be taking the words right out of my mouth. I was almost going to say that. No, I thought I, 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 I thought Battlefront 2 was good. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought Jedi Fallen Order was great. Too. I thought Squadron was very good. But it, you're right. It's all been in the last two, three years that the deal is... It's all point... Sorry, we could talk, this could be a whole podcast. <laughs> we we uh, can spend an entire podcast. I think it's interesting that the two titles that have been best are the two, um, two that I'd say were really passion projects out of the EA Studios. 
Battlefront 1 and 2 were very clearly the, this is going to be our big game. We want it to be like Battlefield. We want it to be a big seller. We're going to put as many profit-generating things inside it as possible. Squadrons was a small passion project out of, uh, why am I blanking the name in studio? Um, uh, Respawn. I want to say some. Oh, sorry, sorry. You no. said Squadrons. Um, squadrons, I don't Squadrons was Motive, was the, Sorry, which one? Wasn't it Motive? EA Motive? Yeah, yeah, motive. Thank you. Which I was gonna say, like the Need for Speed Studio, Jedi Fallen Order, obviously a passion project out of Respawn Entertainment. So, I'm honestly, I'm ecstatic to see uh, what we get after this. And yeah. we didn't even mention the best part. Uh, those of you who have been around a long time will remember Lucas Arts was for, originally a publisher, or sorry, originally mm-hmm. a developer and then a publisher, and it flies once again under Lucasfilm Games, primarily as a publisher for you know Ubisoft's game and whatever else is coming. Uh, but it's nice; it's uh, some hope on the horizon. It is, it is, and I love that going back to their roots with the original uh, original name. Also, very cool—not Star Wars, but um, Bethesda's uh, a machine games uh, studio is actually making an Indiana Jones game. So now Lucasfilm really is going all out, farming out their 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 ip to some of the best studios out there machine games has done a great job on uh, uh you know their titles bethesda's very well renowned studio ubisoft's very well regarded as in the open world area so really good stuff i think they're making all the right moves and i'm, I'm excited to see what else they start giving to other third-party developers so obsidian kotor 3 Obsidian. <laughs> Please. Hey, they've got the deal right now because Microsoft's about ready to, to acquire Bethesda in the next few months. As soon as that deal is is uh, is approved by regulators, um, Microsoft also owns Obsidian, so maybe you can just uh, I'd be okay with do it. a Kotar three that way, or get Bioware like, to finally do their Kotar three. But I would love Bioware to do another one, but that, that's probably not. going You and happen. I are a little bit biased here, William, but <laughs> I'm. The important part is more Star Wars games on the horizon. We'll see more studios, and it, it, I think it'll be a good thing. Yeah. I, I, Maybe it'll get me to start playing some of the games, because I do have KOTOR and KOTOR 2 on my iPad. I just haven't gotten into them yet. Oh, it's so good, Tom. I know. That's, to that's all I keep hearing. That's all I keep hearing. I'm like, uh... they, I So it's... Uh, KOTOR's 1 and 2, and sorry, I'll keep this very brief, because, you know, we've got other things to talk about. <laughs> yes, but yes, we do. they are very much, um, they, they were at the cusp, I'd say, of RPGs really coming out in video games, in the sense that they were almost direct one-to-one translations of, like, D&D systems. Mm. Um, and the result is, there are things in there that are a little on the more obtuse side, I guess I would call it, or not as straightforward. So it's I don't feel bad if you have trouble getting into them. They are worth okay. it if you can, but they are okay. they can be difficult games. All right, I would just Amazing love to see Dark games. Forces. I want to see Dark Forces come back. I loved those games. I would but, be okay you know, with that. Yeah, but, but we, 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 we games. need other things. Yeah, but we need other things to talk about. We should save that for a different podcast. Yeah, all the games. But my hope now is though, now that they're making deals with different studios these studios, they can either approach the studios or the studios can approach them with pitches for different ideas. I think there's a lot of potential there. From what I understand as of, you know, prior to that EA was kind of in control and they'd have to go get sign off from Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it, it, they made some great hits and there were many years where there wasn't anything at all. And, and, and some okay games in between. And so I'm just, uh, I'm very excited for the future of star Wars games. And mm-hmm. Lucasfilm games. So, 
Yeah. Uh, in in other news, um, uh, a bunch of p- podcasts in the Star Wars fan community will be taking part in Star Wars Podcast Day on February seventh. So uh, one day where a whole bunch of podcasts are going to put out episodes, we will be putting out an episode as well. So stay tuned for that and check out all the other Star Wars podcasts involved in Star Wars Podcast Day. We'll be having more details on that soon. But for now, the reason why we're here is to talk The Mandalorian Season 2. We're going to go recap the season, talk about the highs, talk about the lows, all of our thoughts. There there really really wasn't many lows except for when you get to one episode where people were just questioning things about, you know, I, I would say the low would probably... Out of all the episodes, I would say probably the second episode you could probably say was maybe, but the first episode when you have the marshal and you see, you know, Cobb Vanth in in reality instead of just being a character within stories, that was one of the coolest things to see just right on screen. I will say, I, the marshal, even looking back, stands out to me as A, one of the best episodes I think of the season. Yes. And B was just a, a fantastic way to, to kick off the show. Mm-hmm. Um, good mix of character building, good set of surprises, like with Cobb Banth and Boba Fett's armor showing up, the tease at the end, obviously. Um, and I thought the effects in this show have always been amazing, but I thought the uh, Crate Dragon was especially good. Yeah. Um, and that sequence really brought the weight. Um, I still loved that sequence, I think, where um, you've got... Boba Fett, not Boba Fett, sorry, the Mandalorian Cobb Vanth uh, on the mountain as they're flying back and forth trying to take out the Crate Dragon. Just a, a such an amazing way to start the season. I was yeah. really happy with it. Yeah. What I also loved about the episode was the nod to the prequel trilogy where you had a part of Anakin Skywalker's pod racer being used as Cobb Vanth's uh, speeder. That I thought was pretty cool. There were a lot of really fun re- references in the season. I, I think... I'd say probably the season premiere was the most had mm-hmm. the most, uh, but it, that makes sense. You're out, you're back on Tatooine. Of course, you you know have a bunch of classic references and, and nods and stuff. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, I I thought this was a really a great way to kick off the season, and you know, I, it's probably in my top three um, yeah. for for season two. You know, and not that it's extremely long uh, season but you know i i really did think it was a great way to start uh to start season two and man looking back like so much happened this season so much happened this season so high level i have to say like and i i'm gonna preface this by saying Obviously, John Favreau is an integral part of the show, in addition to Dave Filoni. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whose influences are whose, mm-hmm. but season two of The Mandalorian reminds me so much of season two of Rebels in that it is, it's the Dave Filoni pattern. Season one introduces our new characters, we get established with them, we grow to like them, and then season two, Dave Filoni is like, great, now we can start bringing in other parts of the universe that we think are interesting. Let me yeah, bring back Bogotan, let me bring back Ahsoka, let me bring the Dark Troopers from the, like, way out in the middle of nowhere into canon. Like, mm-hmm. uh, all these elements are just, these are things that I think Dave Filoni has shown a particular gift for doing. The ability to like find these pieces and then integrate them into the show without it overpowering the show. Mm-hmm. And the only time I think they, 
I'd say they failed at that. And it, I use the word fail ironically is in the rescue when Luke returns in that. Yeah. Luke did overpower the show, but that's Luke. And what do you well, expect? Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, we'll, it's, we'll come back to Luke. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, was, we'll get, we'll get back to that. So but it, I just love seeing Dave Filoni do that. Like I just, mm-hmm. I would like to see him come back and do that from it. I guess for future star Wars shows as well. Like how mm-hmm. can we, and I guess, you know, we've got the, the Favreau Filoni verse of shows that are coming, whatever you want to call it. And I suspect we'll see even more of that. Um, but it really is impressive to me how well they integrated all those elements into this season without making it feel forced in any way. Right. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. It, so well done. So well done. Yeah. It, it, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say the other thing they did, you're talking about the little bits and pieces when it comes to the passenger, uh, which is the next one, which would be chapter 10. What I really liked is how they were able to integrate the spiders that were an original concept art that was done. Uh, gone and blanking on the name of the artist. Dagobah. Oh, yeah. sorry, Ralph. Was that Ralph McQuarrie? Yeah, Ralph yeah, McQuarrie. Yeah. yeah, and they were able to take that, just a concept drawing of Ralph McQuarrie, and actually make that work within the universe. That's the best thing I like about this universe is, as you said, Stephen, they're they're telling a very good story by using all the resources they have, and in some cases they're not hitting the people over the head by doing it. It's just there subtly and making it work. Yeah. And that spider thing was like one of the best things it was. It was probably when it came to this episode, I'm not going to call and say a weak episode, because we know that when it comes to Filoni, there's the episodes that basically get you from point A to point B. And the passenger was one of those. Cause he needed to find out if there are other Mandalorians who could get him that way. And this is where he picked up the character with no name, the frog lady. I, I, so I have to agree. I think Passenger is probably one of the weakest episodes. Um, I'll get to my other one in a moment, but, and I, something you said just crystallized that for me, Tom, which is imagine for a moment that the Passenger was not in this season. I think you have, um, why can I not remember her name? The crazy lady on Tatooine. Pelly oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You you have her be like, "Hey, I heard a rumor about Mandalorians on this planet," and you literally could skip forward to the Eris, and it wouldn't have been an issue. Um, yeah, it. Yeah, I just yeah. that what you crystallized for me. Like it, the problem with the passenger, I think, is really just that it it didn't have a strong purpose in the season. You didn't need the passenger in order to tell the story. Right well, now it, it does, the, it does add some nice, you know, flavor as you're, as you're yes, watching sure. the, the, the season, you know, you kind of, it's not just quite so easy. You're seeing more of the journey, mm-hmm. a little bit more character development in this case. Um, I, I do agree though. Like it's probably the weakest. Yeah. This one also, this one also went more into the horror genre in many ways as well. And every, every episode, um, yeah, maybe a little bit less this season, but still, each each episode had a had a kind of a distinct feel, much like season one, and and this one right. leaned more into the the horror aspect and leveraging. Uh, and I thought Peyton Reed did a did a phenomenal job still shooting mm-hmm. it. Tom, right? Some thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was gonna say it it was let's call it more of a horror black comedy because it had the thing about the the child Grogu. Now that we know his name. Eating the eggs. Okay. <laughs> the which, most controversial which, part of season two. Yeah, which, which, you know, 
He's hungry. What are you supposed to do? Okay. Look, I'm just saying, I, I'm assuming that after Luke takes Grogu, that Grogu will be tried for war crimes and we'll never see him again. So it's I'm it's the Jedi way. Hey guys, right. I, I have a confession to make. Go ahead. I had some eggs for breakfast. So did my dog. I mean, anyway. Hang on. <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I like Grogu? Were these the last eggs of the species? Like Grogu didn't know that. He hardly he's like a he's a baby. I know, and it was, you know what, it was still an episode that brought out, I think, one of the best things within the storytelling, because we can also look back at season one episode where they were doing the uh, jailbreak, and how that, at a certain point, it was a jailbreak up to a certain point, that turned into a horror flick, because the Mandalorian took over, Mm -hmm. and basically kicked butt and took names, in the darkness, and in the shadows, and all that, kind of the same thing here. It was a quiet episode in the beginning. They land on the planet. And then as soon as Grogu does the wrong thing and eats an egg, which awoke the spiders, then it became a horror film. And if it wasn't for Dave Filoni to the rescue, there would probably still be some problems. And we wouldn't have the Mandalorian the way we have right now. The episode, though, was still so tense, so well shot. And we see later Peyton Reed absolutely delivers in the season oh, family. He he was the absolutely. only director to 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 only one to direct two episodes this season and my goodness uh mm-hmm. did an amazing well job learned. and he will be he will be helming the um the book of boba fett series. So he he's going to be uh he's going to be sticking around in the Star Wars universe which I'm excited about. Now, we had the same thing happen last season where uh, who's the female Deborah director? Chow. Deborah Chow. And then what is she doing? Kenobi. She is doing uh, Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. So it looks like if you want to look at it from the point of view, the Mandalorian is basically setting up directors for the next series. Mm-hmm. So out of, let's say, season three, if they haven't decided right now uh, who could do this, which one of these directors do you think would end up taking over the Ahsoka series or which one could end up well, taking I, over I think it's Dave. of the New Republic? <laughs> or you think it's Dave? Well, by, by way of director. You think Dave's going to do the live I action? I would not be if it, if if Ahsoka is a limited series, and I believe it is. I would yeah. not be surprised if Dave Filoni tries to personally direct, maybe even all of it. Maybe yeah, Dave doesn't. Maybe Dave doesn't direct Mandalorian in season three, and he just does exclusively Ahsoka. Yeah, I could see. He would probably still have um, probably some story saying what's going on. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. they're yeah. continuing to prove. And I mean, and the Disney. Uh, investor call where they announced everything like demonstrates it i think but like season two in many ways was a proving ground for what they are what they want to do with star wars on disney plus right um they that is true both in terms of connected storytelling bringing back fan favorites um proving that just that star wars works in a television format in the first place especially live action format which we haven't really had before a couple of examples accepted Mm -hmm. um Proving ground for directors to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And as we've talked about, it's, it has been a proving ground for Dave Filoni to demonstrate that he can do live action as well as he can do animation. And, yep. and we've seen and, how how much his, uh, I guess you could say, empire has grown uh, <laughs> after The Mandalorian now helming, what, four television series? Yeah. So, He's a busy yeah. man. Live action series, not- yeah. I don't think it's an accident that the only Star Wars movie we have at the moment is the uh, Rogue Squadron series, which is independent, effectively. There's one other one. 
Uh, at least, oh, oh, sorry. Well, uh, I mean, Rick, Taika Waititi's, right? Yeah, Taika yeah. Waititi. Uh, and he is another Mandalorian director who yeah, had, got, a, yeah. got a, who, who graduated to a movie. Really, yeah. like, since The Mandalorian uh, uh, broke out, only Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron has not started in The Mandalorian. Right. And I... I think it's well. Okay, sorry. Having, I guess there's there are a bunch of other directors for other Disney Plus series that sure. have not started in the Mandalorian. To be clear, but yeah. right, but yeah, I, Before I our think people it's yell telling that they're they've realized they have. Um, I'm trying to remember how to, like they have a path forward in terms of what they can, how they can kind of keep the Star Wars brand alive. Right. And I would actually Star Trek is a good example of this, where Star Trek went off TV for a long time, and they filled a lot of that gap with movies the opposite of what they normally do. And it's a way of keeping the brand alive, keeping people interested while they figured out what they were going to do with the, the franchise, which is, and now Star Trek is very much back as a TV or television format. Cause I don't think it's all on TV, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. I suspect we're seeing something similar a with Star Wars here. 45 to 60 minute format. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working through what they want to do, I think, with the Star Wars movie franchise and buying themselves time to learn from the sequel trilogy, learn where to meet fans and where uh, I think who they want involved. And I think the Mandalorian has demonstrated that path forward to them. Mm-hmm. They can and tell these. Go ahead. Finish. That's it. And they can tell these uh, these Star Wars stories in a different yeah. format that and actually I, like as a recap, I, I wish I had a I, I don't have a source for you. But I know that I or I thought I saw that Mandalorian season two was one of the first streaming shows to land on the Nielsen record. Uh, Not only Nielsen that, ratings. I believe it topped yeah. the Nielsen ratings in I, December. That is I, what I, I saw I, that article. I wish yeah. I had the source too. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a pretty huge accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> um, for a streaming service that under that realize has not been around for more than a year to two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to have a series that's a breakout that quick and Netflix has been Netflix has been around for a few years but to have something that meteoric of a rise yeah. from a baby service I mean that's even um, quicker than anything on Apple right now because Apple has their own streaming service yeah. well, there are many yeah. many many companies yeah. with streaming services and yeah this Mandalorian is it really is firing on on all cylinders yeah um, yeah. So I, speaking of firing on all cylinders, the show then dives into the uh, the third episode of the season, which is another phenomenal episode, mm-hmm. The Heiress. And this which, one introduced us or reintroduced us to Bo-Katan Kreese. Mm-hmm. But you have to you have to call out one thing really quick. It had a fiery start at the beginning of the episode because it was directed by Dallas Bryce, how Bryce Dallas Howard. Why do I flip her name? I, sorry. <laughs> I always flip the name, but Bryce Dallas Howard did the really coolest nod to her father's film, Ron Howard, Apollo 13, when the, um, razor crest was coming into the, uh, planetary atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That was one of the coolest little things and nod outside of the star Wars universe to see within the show. Mm hmm. Yeah, and Bryce Dallas. Aside from, aside from, um, you know, obviously John Dave, and then Rick Famuyiwa, um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard was the other returning director yeah. from season one, and I thought she did a phenomenal job on well, this episode. She did great with this episode, and I really like how they gave her the confidence and gave her the one to introduce Bo Katan, because mm-hmm. she did it in such a way that. 
I, I it did not even feel forced. And Katie Sackoff, I mean, come on, and Bo Katan, I mean, as Bo Katan, really perfect. It was yeah. it was perfect. And and you know, it, having basically grown up with the Clone Wars and 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 Rebels, you know, throughout you know uh, uh, college and and everything else, like it it's so cool to see. Again. Uh, it's so cool to see this character step into live action. Uh, yeah. And we'll talk about that happening again l- later in the season. But, you know, we get Bo-Katan. I, I honestly never thought we'd see Bo-Katan in, in live action. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fact that Katie Sackhoff came back to reprise her role, uh, same role she played in the in, in both Clone Wars and Rebels, um, really everything was just perfect about it and they made her look so cool yeah um, and what was also nice about this is how it was shot some of the shots in this i think steven it was yeah might have mentioned that the shot of the the imperial ship flying mm-hmm. away and the mandalorians flying right behind it oh one it one of the most cinematic shots in there and then when they finally get to the the uh, cockpit to try and save that ship and just basically pull it up right before it crashes into the water. So cinematic. And then the, the the directing of the fight scenes as well. Just, I mean. The animation has been fantastic. Yeah. The special effects have been fantastic. Yep. Um, and that's, that was true throughout this entire season. I will say the, the passenger was, not the passenger, sorry. The heiress was the first episode in my least favorite trend of the uh, season, though, which is. Man, the poor Razor Crest just could not <laughs> catch a. Br- I guess actually the passenger. The passenger start started by the practically started, destroying yeah. the Sorry, ship. It gets shot down in yeah. the passenger. It gets dunked <laughs> in the ocean in the Eris. It gets uh, is de- destroyed in the tragedy. Like, oh, oh god, that was so, a tragedy. I know it, it, it really was a tragedy. Single episode, and like every time I'm like, oh, it's gonna like the siege when it it has its triumphant moment. Right. Uh, it turns out it's final triumphant moment. It just yeah. just hurts. And, and when we get to the tragedy, I mean, what was a bigger tragedy? Grogu being taken by the dark. No, no. The tragedy was the, the tragedy. Razor, it was the Razor Crest. Grogu comes back. The Razor Crest is gone. Well, Grogu. he comes back at that point. <laughs> okay. Like okay. honestly, though, like talk about that for just a moment. This show, I think, take, took some really bold steps. You know, destroying the Razor Crest. Yeah. Um, giving Grogu to Luke, right? They're, these are things that are pretty massive changes to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, introducing, uh, you know, Boba Fett and then spinning off another show. I, that's not as much of a risky move as it is a setup, but um, I I have to hand it to them. Like they're, they're willing to take some risks. Well, yeah. if you want to talk about a bigger risk, when you get to the rescue, talk about the dark saber. I mean, we knew when K- when K- um, Bo-Katan was going to show up, she was going to be the one that was going to end up getting that dark saber. We all knew that, but look at how it ended at the at when this when this was over. Dark saber's right in front of her, but who actually has it? Yeah, I, I suspect they're gonna they're gonna deliver on that more in in season three. Um, but the, just but the fact every- that right now it looks like they don't have Grogu or the Razor Crest. Those are some two very big things that they've very much changed the dynamic of the show. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um you know and and so uh, the other thing the um 
the other thing the eras did and introduced was this this trend this it, it continued the trend actually of pushing the Mandalorian's perspective on Mandalorians. And that's something I, I really yeah. enjoyed about the whole season, right? In in the the gunslinger, uh, the Mandalorian Din Djarin, runs into this guy who who's wearing a Mandalorian armor, but is not actually a Mandalorian at all. And of course, he gets very upset about that because how how dare you wear Mandalorian Beskar without being a Mandalorian? And then you know, at various points throughout the season, they're setting up like how people are trying to kill him for the armor, right? They're trying to steal his armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to Bo-Katan and, you know, he's rescued by Bo-Katan and all of a sudden he's he's faced with these Mandalorians that they are true Mandalorians. They they wear armor. Uh, they, ha- they have Beskar. They, they are from Mandalore. They grew up on... Heck, her Bo-Katan's sister was the ruler of Mandalore. She was, you know, the leader of, of Mandalore later on. And yet they can take off their, their, their helmets. Uh, and a lot of stuff is, you know, it's, it's, it really challenges Din Djarin's assumptions about what mm-hmm. a Mandalorian is. And then as we go on, we see, you know, him having to take off his helmet to deal with, various situations like you know in order to rescue Grogu he has to take off his helmet and have a conversation yeah. and, and it all culminates in this very emotional moment at the very end where he finally takes off his helmet to say goodbye to Grogu and it, I thought it was just phenomenal character growth mm-hmm. throughout the season I totally agree and it's something it's such a Dave Filoni thing literally a Dave Filoni thing to expand our minds on and resolve what a Mandalorian can be Starting yeah. the Clone Wars when we get the pacifist Mandalorian, then yeah. moving into Rebels where we see Sorry. the the con. That's ah, okay. We see the the kind of more of the traditional Mandalorians, and then it moves into the Mandalorian Mandalorians where we've got this additional sect. And of course, every time it happens, it is followed by fans and even we talked about it. Like ah, this doesn't this doesn't seem like the Mandalorians we know. Why doesn't Boba Fett ever have this issue? Why is mm-hmm. Why didn't it show up in Clone Wars? Uh, 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 w- like, why is the Darksaber has to be one in combat? That's never been a thing before. Right. I trust that Dave Filoni is doing, and John Favreau, are doing these things deliberately, and then it's a way to expand the universe and make it grow. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I agree. Because also when you look at the siege, and you're talking about how you're making it grow, well, we finally figure out why or you have a hinting of why they need the child's blood. Why it was, it was called the M code. If I remember correct, that kind of popped up a bit. Um, the M factor, the M factor. I don't remember um, what it was either, but I, it's was such a f- M count. Such a, f- yeah. 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 Thank you. Like, yeah, it was, funny, it was like, enough. In, like, ah, we almost said it. We didn't quite say it, but we M almost count? said it. What are M counts? <laughs> yeah. Let's not go there. Uh, it just but, cracks me up. I know, but at least at least we get like a hinting of, of what is being planned for why they needed the child and and why they keep going after because the original samples they didn't get enough at that point. Yeah, you know. So now now we end up getting you know we get to see Cara Dune again, we get to see Grief Karga again, and then we get Horatio Sands' character back again, which we get to see that character back again. Um, <laughs> he was what I was not expecting. 
Um, I think a lot of the returning guest stars, I was surprised by Pelimoto in the Marshall, mm-hmm. um, the uh, uh, obviously the Mithral. Like I thought he was a throwaway character. I never imagined he would come back again. Uh, Neither of my really. Was a thro- what he was what? a throwaway character, and they the fact that they brought him back. Like uh, Tom, you mentioned the passenger. The siege was my least favorite episode. I think of the season. Really, really more so than. Uh, uh, I take that back. Passenger was my least favorite, but Siege was my, I think, my second least. Okay. Uh, okay. It is. It was an episode that it leaned the heaviest on like the Mithral, or sorry, on Mithral on Grief Karga. Um, <laughs> neither of whom have been my favorite characters. They mm-hmm. they just mm-hmm. don't quite sell it for me as much. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a fantastic the the sequence where the why am I blowing up what's called the Razor Crest makes its return after being repaired is fantastic. Yes, it was still like certainly. Uh, I say it was my least favorite episode. I didn't mind watching it. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's just not one of the ones that'll be on my like rewatch list. If you know, mm-hmm. know what I mean. See, my my favorite thing about this one is it reminded me of playing Dark Forces. Mm. It had that kind of video game feel to it, especially when they were inside the facility. And for me, the callback was not so much inside the facility, but when they were out on the landing dock it kind of felt like uh, somewhere within dark forces to where you're coming out of this certain area and you had that big Canyon in front of you and you had like, you know, a door over here and a door over there. So that was my, my one thing about me that I liked the episode was for that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I still enjoyed it. And I thought, um, so Carl Weathers actually did double duty as both Mm -hmm. grief Karga and the director for the episode. And I thought it was a lot of fun action. I, I enjoyed it overall. It was fun to see. I loved seeing Cara Dune and, and, and Grief Karga come back in. That, yeah. I think if there was one thing that was in some ways a little uh, too bad was that we didn't get as much of them uh, throughout the season, uh, especially yeah. Grief Karga. This was his only episode, and it would have been cool to see um, him a bit more. But uh, I, you know, I'll take what I can get. I thought it was. I, I really enjoyed it, and... Um, you know, it, it, while it's not the best episode of, of the season, um, it, I, I enjoyed it. Plus we also got, mm. you know, um, uh, baby Yoda in the, the school eating, uh, macarons. So <laughs> I can't remember and our, and our, and our galactic, things. uh, our galactic, um, cartography school session. Yeah. Uh, no comment. Well, <laughs> Yeah, but you'll have plenty of comments when we get to the next episode when it comes to the Jedi. And we all knew this was going to be directed by Dave Filoni and written by Dave Filoni because who else is going to direct a character that was created by him but Ahsoka Tano? Who could direct that character but him? Uh, Yeah, fantastic episode, I thought. Um, Again, you mentioned like each episode has its own distinct style, like the opening for the Jedi – I thought was an awesome demonstration of that with Ahsoka in the mist kind of darting from location to location and she takes out the guards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much a, like a samurai um, yeah. feel to it. Yeah, it was the, the Kurosawa and, feel to mm-hmm, it. Yeah. And I, it's so bizarre, but the fact that the episode ends with what is effectively a, a samurai duel and an old Western duel, I thought was only like the type of thing you can only really find when creators are. I don't know, get the, get the opportunity to do what they want to do. Like, that's not a combination you expect to see, but it fit yeah. Star Wars and it fit the episodes so well. Well, it fits Star Wars because because the, uh, isn't it Seventh Samurai and all those 
were the influences t- mm-hmm. to George Lucas back in the day. So yeah. to actually see that within the universe, especially especially you have a lightsaber going up against a pure bes- Beskar, Beskar sword, uh, spear. Yeah. Sorry, I'll get it right one point. I'll get it. Um, but that that was the only way to make it work. How else could you have done this episode? I mean, you couldn't have done it a Viking style. You couldn't have done it a, a primeval style. The best way to do it was, especially especially when you get inside that facility where the duel was, it literally had that whole samurai feel to it with like, yeah. you know, the plants, the the architecture, the, the you could call it koi pond with the, the bridge over it. I mean, there was no other way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think of all of the one, all of the episodes, this is the one that, I was probably the most torn on because it was so really? cool in so many ways. And like and Ahsoka, like let's just Ahsoka seeing us. The fact that we got to see Ahsoka in live action is just amazing. Yeah. And we knew it was coming. It was heavily, heavily rumored. Um, but still it was so cool. Just the fact that Ahsoka is such a major character from the Clone Wars and Rebels made her way to live action and played such a pivotal role in mm-hmm. this episode she basically pointed the mandalorian and and, and and grogu in the direction of luke skywalker and told him how to find yeah. him she gave the mandalorian grogu's yeah. name started teaching him in the ways of the force more like a classic yoda luke you know training kind of scene there were so many amazing amazing moments that we've really all wanted to see mm-hmm. and we know ahsoka's still out there you know doing something in the galaxy uh, we'll probably well, find out in the ahsoka series well, the the reason why she's still out there in the galaxy because there was one big major name drop. Oh my gosh, you're oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, there was one big major name drop, oh, and even 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 the person who created the character, if I understand correctly, was not aware of. Timothy's almost not aware it was going to be th- right. thrown out there that Grand Admiral Thrawn was going to be put in the series. Again, I'm telling you, this is the setup. This is the, this is the setup for the Ahsoka series. It's going to be her and Thrawn and Ezra and Sabine. I mean, That's... sold. Uh, no more. No more needed. Good to go. Yeah. Yeah. More, please. Yeah. Uh, I had heard. Which... I think this is a rumor, but I'd heard that. Where did I hear this now? I heard a rumor that like. Uh, that Dave Filoni was going to do the Rebels sequel series in animation and John Favreau convinced him to do it in live action instead. I'm trying to remember where I read that now. Uh, but he's like, no, 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 you got to do it in live action. Um, and that's where it led to this. And that maybe he was even partially into like pre-production on the show. Where did I hear this rumor now? Well, I can't remember. You heard it here first. People listening, this is a rumor. This it's is a, a rumor. rumor. We don't know rumor. for sure. Rumor, I, rumor. I can't, I don't even remember where the source is. So ignore me, you know, like, yeah, take a very big grain of salt. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be such a tragedy trying to get to the next one if you were wrong <laughs> no, no, no. but uh yes yes um but like the um so I, I was there's so many great moments and something we've always wanted to see i still think i'm not a huge fan I, it's good enough now uh but i'm i i i thought uh i i wished it was it was i think it'll just take me time sorry i'm still processing my thoughts so many weeks later um, I, I missed Ashley Eckstein as, yeah. as the voice of Ahsoka. And I thought there were some aspects of Ahsoka's character, uh, style that didn't, uh, like the, the, the head tails looked a little like wrinkly 
at times. Um, a little, a little fake there, but like overall, it was still so cool to see Ahsoka. And I thought Rosario Dawson did a good job, mm-hmm. you know, trying I to think, mimic the mannerisms I, of Ahsoka. And and I think for me, um, I think the makeup of the head tails and everything could be explained away because now you're looking at the character. How would that character look in live action? Can that stuff be pulled off in like, let's say fight sequences? Okay. I am excited to see where Rosario Dawson takes the character. Now I love actually Eckstein. I mean, when, when you see her at the conventions, I mean, William, you and I, we saw her at that one screening. I met her husband, mm-hmm. love talking to her husband. Very nice guy. Love to see, would love to have seen her as Ahsoka. At this point, it's getting behind Rosario Dawson. And she's the one that's going to be the one taking this character in live action. And from what, from, from what they can tell, there's a lot of respect there for what Ashley did to the character. And I think she's going to do everything possible to keep that respect there and keep the character to where it's going to move forward. But she's going to have to add her own little tweaks to it because now it's jumped from animation into live action. It's going to be hard for her. I'm looking forward to see what she's going to be doing it because to a certain extent, you could say the same thing with Katie Sackhoff because she did do she, certain, certain respect. She did the character in animation, but that was only a voice. Now she's got to physically take that character into the real world. And the same thing's going to happen when you look at, if it's theoretical, anything else is going to revolve around the Ahsoka series that Dave wants to bring these characters from animation into live action. The same thing's going to happen. Yeah. You have to respect what came before. Yeah. But you have to take it your direction going forward. There's, I'll say, there's a much larger discussion on this if you're interested in uh, our episode, our review of the Jedi. <laughs> I'll say, I, I thought Rosario Dawson did a fantastic job, and I, yeah. I, I agree. I think there's some more they can do with the practical effects, um, and we'll see how it continues to develop. I don't know if it's possible for Disney to throw more money at the various Star Wars shows that are ongoing. Um, I, I'm sure it can't hurt, but. I, I definitely look forward to it. Yeah, and, and also, to be clear, I, does not diminish my ex- excitement for the Ahsoka series one iota. So yeah, absolutely, and, and and that that you you express that immensely. So that that's that's perfectly clear. It again would have been a tragedy trying to move on if it was the wrong way. So yeah, let me let me segue for you. I'll say okay. one of the things I liked least about the siege is the siege was at the time it was the team up episode. Our team of Cara Dune, Grief Cargra, the Mithral, and the Mandalorian. I was like, okay. this, this is not the team up I want to see. This is, they, it doesn't feel like, this, is, <laughs> this isn't this is the A team. This is the B team. It's the TV show that never got made because no one cared about it. I don't know B that. plus. I would say B plus because the Mandalorian ah. gave it that plus. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Re- okay. Re- really, but, it's the Mithral that drags down the team. Otherwise, uh, it would be I, the A team. <laughs> no, even then, I, I like, personally, okay, I would B+. say... Even then, I would say I think that I the the chemistry wasn't there in the same way. Mm-hmm. And when we come into the tragedy where we get Fennec Shan, Boba Fett, and the Mandalorian, and then it, it obviously expands in the next episode. Like to me, that was the like this is the A team. This yeah. is who I want to follow around for the next <laughs> yeah. ten episodes. What do you mean? There's only three? No, no more. Uh, Spoiler alert: There's another yeah. series. <laughs> yeah, but it just they did such a fantastic job with the tragedy i thought um mm-hmm. robert rodriguez and 
who directed it, written by John Favreau, just literally they nailed it top to bottom. Yeah. Um, just that uh, that moment when you see Slave One come through the sky and land, and you're just like, oh my god, it's happening. Let's not forget, you also heard it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the sound effects thing. were spot on. Like, it, honestly, it's hard to emphasize just how great all of that was. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and like we get to see on Tython, a planet we've heard bef- heard of before. Yeah, and then just that that amazing team that that duel the 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 action was mm-hmm. um was some of the best action scenes the show has ever done. And, I think. And I yep. I throw that out there to Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And that is his style. If you if you've seen how he works, all of his animation style, it's I it's it, I wouldn't say it's kind of over the top. It's very, you know, expression oriented and it's just it's the way it is. If you understand his style, this was so spot on. Just and it is perfect. I'll highlight or call out like the fact that we got to see Boba Fett uh, kick ass and take names yep. without the armor, like mm-hmm. watching him wield the gaffy stake. It just it was one of those things where uh, I mean, to quote another Disney property, like if, if you're nothing without the armor, then you don't deserve it um, from the spider. I think it was, was it homecoming. No, was it homecoming? Yeah. Whatever. The first of the new spider, the first of the third Spider-Man, you know, you know what I mean? I um, never I don't watch the Spider-Man movies. Fair enough. Uh, um, but it was just, it was a reminder that, yes. And like, he gave it to us later with both the jetpack missile and then like the knee missiles of all things. Mm-hmm. Yes, Boba Fett yeah. became a favorite because he looked really cool. But this episode added so much depth to the character. Yep. It was just fantastic. And Tamara Morrison. Yes. 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 Awesome. I, I love him. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but like if we could get like, oh, I don't even know, like maybe in the Ahsoka show, he can play Rex. I'd be OK with. But I just like <sighs> it, it's funny. We uh, talked about it like the uh, D. Bradley Baker, who voiced all the clones in Clone Wars, like literally the Bad Batch is going to be D. Bradley Baker talking to himself for half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I would be OK with the live action equivalent of that, which is going to be much harder because D. like I don't know how you shoot four right. clones in the same place, but I would I would be on board for watching Tamara Morrison be the four old Bad Batch clones, you know, like yeah. running around doing what they're doing. Um, it's it's so funny because like the prequel trilogy is like it's what twenty years ago at this point. Like I don't know, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Not twenty years oh. ago. When was I, Revenge I, of the Sith? Was what two thousand two thousand five? We're looking at fifteen years? sixteen years ago. Okay, where, yeah. where, where's my cane, guys? It's around here somewhere. I, Tom, I need a cane. That's my point. <laughs> The prequel that's, trilogy that's, started more than 20 years ago, so you're not wrong, Steven. I, I know. <laughs> um, Tamura Morrison still got it. And yes. it makes me wish he'd gotten more time in the prequel trilogy. Like, he yeah. he nailed the character. Agreed. He is the character. Yeah, You're right, yeah. Actually, and, Tamara Morrison's debut was 19 years ago. Yeah. And he, yeah. he still got it. And and the one thing I really loved, I loved seeing Mining Wing. Wang, sorry, when I'm so please help me with names. Her character, Phoenix Shan, you want to talk about some great action in that and what she was able to pull off being the sniper. The one shot I love that she did, she was jumping off that rock as she was jumping one direction, shooting the opposite direction of where she was jumping from. 
Okay. And I know that's all stunt. I know it's not possible. It was cool, though. It was so cool. And to see see that she's going to be coming back, as you mentioned, in the Bad Batch as a character in that. Mm -hmm. And in the book of Boba Fett. I wanted to throw that in, too, but I wanted to bring up Bad Batch. So I I will make a controversial claim. I think the tragedy was my favorite episode of the season. Really? Ooh. I liked it more than The Rescue, mm. uh, which would probably be my second pick. But Interesting. Just, they nailed, like, they nailed this episode from top to bottom. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm not going to disagree with you, but one of my absolute favorites is definitely The Believer. Episode 15. Yeah. Because, I, I'm sorry, Bill, I'll be honest, I never heard of Bill Burr as, as an actor until he showed up last season. Same. Okay. Yeah. All right. You, you kind of start to grow to like that character about midway through that episode. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, just how it's so hard to explain how he should be in some other Star Wars show as Migs Mayfield. He I don't was even know about, what that show looks like, um, I, but I don't, I don't disagree. Either. Like he was, I mean, I'd say uh, why am I? Bill Burr and Ming-Na Wen both, I think, demonstrated like what it means to be a an outsider, like not someone who has a past in Star Wars previously, and Absolutely. to come in and exactly. and really make their characters integral. Yeah. And yeah. actually, I'll I'll go a step further. So I'm gonna say I didn't really care for Bill Burr in the prison ep- the prisoner, or whatever the name of that episode mm-hmm. was. That, that, that's, he was that, fine. Like it was just yeah. it was kind of a weird episode. I thought yeah. he was the best um, of the bunch because I didn't really like a lot of the other exactly. characters. Yeah, so you look at him bunch, and you go, was, okay, uh, well I didn't really like anybody else, but like he's pretty good, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was just a fantastic episode, and like the tension, uh, for example, of like the scene where he's they're sitting at the lunch table mm-hmm. talking oh. to the officer was just perfect. Oh yeah. And if we if we ever get the the hyper realistic Star Wars show, um I oh, sorry, like the hyper realistic like war show, I mean. Kind of mm-hmm. um the like, you know, war isn't pretty. It's it's an ugly yeah. thing. I think he showed us the side of that that I thought would be fantastic to see more I'm, of. I'm I'm going to I'm going to one further on this. <clears throat> His character was a character that was lacking in the first Star Wars Battlefront book. If you think about mm-hmm. that book going all the way back, okay, I, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I, I will just say this. And I'll keep it. I did not like that book. But how Bill Burr played this character is the way that book should have been written. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the surprising thing about this, this was from the Imperial point of view, not the Republic point of view. That's what made it even better. Because yeah. you could see it from the Republic that that there would be a character like this was from the Imperial point of view. Yeah, it, uh, it was. Uh, yeah, the the, it, the the action was just was great. I, I, I you know? like you said that that moment where they're all sitting around the table and the officers mess is really what it's the star of the of of the episode for sure. It's the highlight. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and was, you also sorry, one, one, more, one more thing. You right, also have to give props to um uh uh Pedro for, for Pascal. Yeah. Pedro Pascal because not only is he sitting there acting with a helmet on in front of that screen okay and you could tell even behind that mask you knew at some point that mask that, that his helmet was going to come off but you could see the tension before it came off 
And then that facial acting he did from that point forward. And it was really great to have Bill Burr come in and basically bail him out of it. And he still, Pedro Pascal, kept that whole expression the whole time. I mean, yep. just incredible, that scene. I So I will say I'm a little in the perplex, like, I, sorry, uh, that sequence was fantastic. I thought Pedro Pascal did an awesome job of acting and giving us um, a the rare glimpse into his face that we get in the show. Right. Um, the the technology person me is confused why there's a computer in the mess hall that acts has sensitive information on it, and the only requirement <laughs> is that you have a face. Uh, you don't that even. That seems yeah. like you don't even need like, a specific oh, just, face. It's just have a face. Do you have a face? Good. You're you're entitled to this information. Um, but if you ignore, you know, the the silliness of that and, you know, the, the fact that it's a little bit on the weird side. I, 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 fantastic I, episode. I always chalk it up to you have to. It's the suspension of disbelief. That's that's what you have to chalk it up to and just roll with it. Uh, roll like in a, you know, Republic like tank carrying... You know, sensitive materials that if you go too fast or slow down too much, it'll explode. That type of roll with it. You mean the Imperial tank, right? Yeah, I don't okay. know. That was no, no, my no, okay. weird. No, I, I understand. No, no, no. We're, I, go ahead. I will say that I thought the episode got significant. The first part of the episode was was fine. I thought the episode got significantly better once they entered the Imperial base. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I'm not. Okay. I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that because, because here's here's the other thing I heard, and this is a very valid point. Um, one gentleman I heard had the complaint. Uh, okay, so the Mandalorian's on top of this big tank, and he's being chased by these guys that are on repulsors. Explain to me why these guys on repulsors have spears. You know, he had a valid uh, point. He had a very valid point. You know, these guys are on repulsors. Tom, you don't what? understand the the on, the planet they were on has a deep and rich history of repulsor jousting. I get um, it. No, I, I, I get it. I mean, like, like I said, he had a very valid point. I almost wanted to come back and say, suspension of disbelief. Just run with it. Yeah. Also, I love, small thing, but I just love seeing seismic charges at the end of the oh, episode. Yeah. And the escape. Oh, yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was great. Well, on top of that, it calls back to, this is Boba Fett. What else was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Miggs Mayfeld, he's... He's out there. They they freed him. So yeah. we'll see if he comes back in in season three or or one of the other spinoff shows. But there's definitely a potential. Um, I'd I'd love to. I, I mean that is we will. Wow. that is such a great character. But, I would hate to see just yeah yeah. I I do think though, kind of wrapping up what you're saying earlier, he and Fennec Shand are everything Mandalorian guest stars should be. Yeah, uh, and. The exact opposite of what I thought, you know, uh, like a more of a Pelimoto or a Mithral is like they they mm-hmm. where they are like shining examples. And, you know, I I, I don't include I, I think um, Grief Karga and Cara Dune are also in like Queel are also in that category only. But I, I see them as like a they're they're more part of the recurring cast than the guest stars. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm not lumping them in this comparison, but um yeah, like they—they they are, they're fantastic, and I—I I do hope we we see them again. Yeah, well, we um, will be seeing Phoenix Shard and Boba Fett 
again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because oh. we also saw Boba Fett kind of take part in the rescue. Although he, he, uh, he peaced out pretty quick. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. And, and I think now we figured out why he peaced out real quick. But, he, but Finnick Shan ended up staying around for a while. Yeah, so, ooh, the rescue. This, you know, Grogu's captured the Mandalorian. He's told uh, Moff Gideon, I'm coming for you. Oh, also, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. They Man, show up in this episode them? too, but in the tragedy, we got dark troopers. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Dark that's troopers. Right. We, got dark we, got, troopers. We, got, we get even more of them in, the, in this episode. That was just so cool to see. Like, the, the you know, they have to board this shuttle or the ship try to rescue Grogu in the process. Din Djarin goes, you know, literally hand to hand with dark troopers and they are scary. Mm-hmm. They are hard yeah. to beat. They were hard to beat in the game too. <laughs> that Sorry, is I, very true. Guys, I mean, honestly, uh, I have to, I have yep. to, you are not wrong. No, I'm not. It's I'm not. They were scary, especially the the version the version two. The guys were just like the little skeletons, if I remember correct, that were doing this all the time. They were these were worse. But the the thing I the thing I appreciate about the Dark Trooper, and this was watching the um, the special they did, and sadly it was a one shot. And compared to last season, they had each director uh, the, the Mandalorian special where they had each director come out and talk about their episode. This was the one shot. The thing I appreciate about the Dark Troopers this time. Um, they were actually actors inside the armor because they felt like lighting wise that to do it CG would not work. So they actually had actors inside the armor. And then when you look at all the, let's say the gears and all that, that was added in CG, but watch that special. And then they, they talk about how they were able to make the dark troopers basically feel more realistic than if they did it CG. And that's what I appreciate about this because mm-hmm. that's the detail this show goes into. I did enjoy that. Yeah. Some so, so, minor aside, I did enjoy the 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 special uh, yeah. for Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian season two. But like you, I wish they had gone with the yeah. eight thirty minute episodes with the director roundtables. My guess is they probably just couldn't get the directors around a roundtable due to COVID restrictions, and so they were like, "Okay, let's just take a bunch uh, of the, let's take a bunch of the scenes we shot, do some individual interviews, and call it a day." As 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 opposed to like, "Hey, we shot a bunch of scenes, but like, let's get people in a table around a table, and they can talk and generate I don't know eighty percent of the footage, and yeah, then twenty percent you know, is just stuff you know cut in B roll." That actually mostly. makes sense. Uh, that's my guess, but I hope they go back to the longer format next season. Yeah, but. The rescue, so cool. Like, so yeah. the stakes were high. Um, you really felt the 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 struggle as they, uh, you know, as Din Djarin fought the, the, the Death Troopers. And as, you know, the, the rest of the group, Cara Dune, Fennec Shand, Bo-Katan, and Koska Reeves, like, make their way to the, the bridge and try to take out um, Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just just for them to get in there. I mean, that shuttle where you have to have Boba Fett sit there and, and they warn Boba Fett, you know, make it look like you're trying to shoot us, but don't shoot us. Okay, because because we're trying to get into the shuttle. I don't know. And shoot just, casual. Yeah, just 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 shoot casual. Just just kind of list to the left a bit. But to go through those mandibles at the front of that Star Cruiser. Okay. And to get in there while TIE fighters are being launched and the look of that one TIE, that TIE fighter pilot as his tie is coming forward and the beautiful shot of when it stops, it kind of does that swing forward right as that shuttle's coming in. 
I mean, and then as it crashes, all all the heck just breaks loose. Gorgeous. And yeah, and except then, for except for the Mandalorian who saunters on his way to lock the dark, dark troopers out. Which which <laughs> but, would be the one thing you want to look at? Going okay, you guys have just been boarded. Where and I understand you guys are a little bit, you know, you don't have a lot of troops on board the ship, but don't you think you'd leave a couple folks behind just in case somebody were to saunter yeah. down the ramp with the full on, you know, Besker spear and you know that's crazy talk, Tom. I, you you got to throw it out there. I'll say I I really appreciated how they introduced and demonstrated how dangerous even one dark trooper can be. Like the shot of yeah. the Mandalorian's head getting punched into the bulkhead was a great uh, a great uh, demonstrator of why they should be taken seriously. Yeah, and it, and that moment of uh, where you see them all fly back onto the ship and realize, oh right, they're not people. They're not going to suffocate out in space. We know they can fly. That's a lot of them. They are coming to the bridge. Yeah. Set up that final moment where a lone X-Wing arrives. Okay, so but, well. but, but before you get there, the look on Moff Gideon's face of utter joy, knowing that he's going to be sitting there, because I think he even tells them he's going to sit there and watch them all die, except for him and the child. And you could tell as they're coming on to the ship, the pleasure he was taking. And then that lone X-Wing shows up. And I really like the, didn't somebody say one X-Wing? Which <laughs> exactly. I originally when that thing, yeah. And when, when I, when I saw that show up, I really hate to say this. I originally thought that was going to be Filoni's character. Just, as, I, just, just for that brief second. Cause remember the two of them did save the day. When you go back to the um, when you go back to the uh, passenger, okay. So, and you do know that they are out there looking to see what's going on in the outer rim. They are patrolling. So, who's to say that that might not have been Filoni's X-wing that flew in? Yeah. No, I, I think there were a lot of possibilities that we had we discussed, and you know, obviously well, we were, Luke Luke was a obvious choice for the time period. Right, but it was one that we we immediately discarded because there's, there's no way, there's no way they're going to do Luke. And I think so we were we were thinking about Kyle. If you were looking at the Dark Troopers tying it back into the game, we were looking at the Jedi from I think it was Dark. Was it three or two? Or I don't know. But we were looking at that Jedi to come in because that would make sense, right? But there was yes, but there were there were a thousand different things it oh, they could have anyway. been. Uh, and, Ahsoka could have changed her mind. That was another one. Yeah. And, you know, I think the one that we never expected, truly expected, like we thought it could happen, but the one we right. I never actually thought we would see was Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And that's what they did. And I think it, they went uh, so, um, uh, they went so, they, they delivered on everything it, we, we would have wanted. It, it was like, there's a reason we talk about like the Darth Vader sequence from Rogue One, where it is that good. Yeah. Um, this was our equivalent for Luke Skywalker. Oh yeah. Like this is what we would have gotten from Luke Skywalker, if you know, I don't know, we gotten if it'd been made recently, I guess. Well, no, um, and, and I totally agree because it was in his prime, and and I think as Star Wars fans, I want to see Luke Skywalker in his prime. I want yep. to see him as that Jedi as the, you know, person who is rebuilding the Jedi Order. And and I'm going to say it, not 
as a broken master. Uh, sorry, Tom, I have, I, we don't I have, have time to sorry. go into all of that. I'm uh, sorry, guys, but uh, I just this this is this is how Luke was, Skywalker was. It is. was so fantastic, and the fact that they got Mark Hamill to do it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this a lot. I I would love to see a Luke Skywalker show or a Jedi Academy show. I don't know how that works. Um, but they, they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how they slowly built up to it, because I think everybody up until a certain point, if I remember correctly, when we were first talking about it, the two of you were kind of like, what, wait, what? And the giveaway was the hand when he had the lightsaber in, in the hand with the glove. That was the giveaway. It was like, that's the first point where it's like, Oh my God, it's Luke. That was the, it's happening. It's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. That was the moment where you, yeah, you see the glove, you see the lightsaber, and you're like, I can't believe they're actually doing this. I, yep. I can't believe, wow, they're going there. This is amazing. Especially when he pulls the hood off, and it's like, it is Luke freaking yeah. Scott. And, you know, yes, you can quibble about the uh, about the, the, the look, you know, slightly CG, whatever. I don't care. He looked... I- he looked good enough that I didn't care. Like he looked okay. like he stepped right out of Return of the Jedi, and that was all I needed. Okay, but here's the thing, because I saw the meme out there in which somebody put that photo up next to what he looked like in the in the uh, Life Day special. Which one would you rather have? That okay. That is uh, somebody put it up there. That. Was that side is by terrifying. Side. It was side by side, and it was it was like. I don't care, deep fake or whatever. That is the way I want to see Luke Skywalker is exactly how he showed up at the end of the series. Yeah. I mean, the end of the show. I We literally could talk about it all day because it was just that exciting to see. But yeah, fa- hats off to them. For making it work and not making it, you know, not making it. Um, um, it's it, I, 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 don't, I don't know any other way to, to express it. They made this work made it believable and oh god i'm trying to figure out what i'm trying to say they didn't make it a comedy they didn't make it a joke they made it serious and it worked they really put their time into it it was great yeah Yeah. no it it was it was perfect and the fact that he took grogu is huge i think it'll have huge ramifications on where this series goes you yeah. know in season two we talked about this in our in our in our review of the episode but what are they going to do are they going to are they going to keep like is Grogu going to come back um is he is he not i don't, I don't know uh, i i can't imagine the show continuing without that core kind of father-son relationship um but well maybe that maybe the reason why we're getting the book of boba fett is for them to figure out if you want to take it from that point of view. I I think it's I do think Book of Book of Buffett's a completely different show. Um, no, I I agree I agree, but it sounds like we're going to be getting that before. This oh, oh next I see. Giving them time. Or, yeah, I have to imagine yeah. that they would. They had an inkling of where they're going to go, but the question will be like: Is Grogu gone for a little bit and then comes back in the show, mm-hmm. or is he permanently gone and it's? The whole show could change at this point. Like, there's no Razor Crest, there's no Grogu. Um, you know, Cara Dune may be getting her own spinoff show. Yeah, and 
but but you also have to look at it from the point of view of how they ended the series. Like I mentioned earlier, it was Bo-Katan who was supposed to end up with the Darksaber because she was the ruler of Mandalore. It ended up in um, in in Din Djarin's hands, okay? And that's where Moff Gideon is taking his little bit of pleasure going, oh, here's the problem, Bo-Katan. He's got it now. You wanted, defeated me. you wanted to defeat me in combat because that's the only way for you to take the reins of being true Mandalore of Mandalore. So now you have to fight him. And, and Din Djarin's like, I don't care. Take the thing. I don't want it. And she can't yeah. do it. Yeah. So, so they're setting up. I, I, can, I can understand that you want to have Grogu there because this is how they established the first two seasons. But they set up such a conflict right now between Bo-Katan and Din Djarin just because of the Darksaber. And they still have set up the Caesar Mandalore part two. So this season sets up so like this. I'm sorry. I'm going to use another uh, analogy. This is the opposite of like the DC versus Marvel approach for uh, this is like Marvel has found the the way to like, Hey, we're going to tell you a compelling story about a single thing, but we're going to backdoor like five different shows throughout it versus the DC of like, Oh, we're just going to like, here's justice league. Don't you care about all these characters now? And you're like, not really. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. That's a little, that's a little on the harsh side, but yeah, I'm the DC guy of this group. Okay. but it's it's a different approach. Like yeah, they I know, I know. they managed to backdoor so many different things through the season, and were some of them a little on the foreside? Sure, but did any of them take away from the the season? No. Like yeah. I, I get like for me, season one of the Mandalorian, and I guess I'm getting into my overall thoughts here as well. Um, season of the Mandalorian showed great promise, and I felt like we had three awesome episodes at the beginning, and like two to three awesome episodes at the end, and I I wasn't super thrilled with about what we got in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fine. It just it right. didn't knock my socks off. Um, season two of Mandalorian, despite having I'd say two episodes that I wasn't a huge fan of, overall was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and even more so, I'd say than season one, it it leaves me wanting a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to piggyback on that because I look at we have discussed when it comes to the Dave Filoni storytelling. He's got a way. He's got a way to tell, and he's got his cadence of storytelling. We saw that really establish itself in season one. Because look at it this way: he was establishing a character, and that was the way the story, the, his storytelling went. When you get into this, it was light years ahead of season one. And season one is still a great season to go back and watch because. You know, there's so many great things that happen in there. So many great characters. You know, IG-88, to go back and watch that again. Quill, may he rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, to to go watch those characters again and and to see that, that kind of stuff worked back in that season. And and we knew that was, that this, I agree. Two episodes were kind of like the, the week, but the whole thing, the storytelling in this was so strong. And to end it, with Luke effing Skywalker and we forgot one R2D2. Yeah. In and R2D2. His prime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's so cool. It even kind of over it overshadows. We hardly even talked about like the, the Darksaber duel between Moff Gideon and and yeah. Din Djarin. Like 
this this season delivered on on every level. It really did. Yeah. I, I I was very very impressed, and I thought they had something for everyone. They introduced new you know new characters that are awesome. Brought in characters from animation that we had only dreamed we might see. Um, they expanded the show while still keeping the core of that relationship, and really ended the season on the biggest you know, reveal slash introduction mm-hmm. and, and, and honestly, I don't know where they go. I, I, I yeah. do not know where season three is going. And that is so cool to think about. Like, yeah. and this season one, we're like, okay, I got an idea of roughly what they're going to do, right? They're going to go find the Jedi or find Grogu's family, whatever. End of season two, it feels like a different show in, yeah. you know, in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. So, so what what would we rate this whole season? Because I guess that's where we're at right now. Or do we want to give it a womp rat? Yeah, mean, no, let's, I, no, let's do it. We, we have to. It. Tom, is it an episode of the Iron Cannon podcast if we don't end it with a womp rat rating? I don't think it is. You got a point on that. You really do. Okay, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go first. Why the, why the heck not? Um, you know what? I, I have to give this overall, even with the two... Eh, I am giving this one, I've got to give it a nine. I totally 100% love this season. It was so, so well done that there's, there's really not much more to say than what we've already summed up within the, within our podcast. So I am going to take my nine womp rats and, um, you know what? They're going to be in Jabba's palace and they're going to be hanging out with, uh, Phoenix Shan and Boba Fett waiting to see what happens in the book of Boba Fett. They're going to be the first ones there and they're going to report to us what's happening before it happens. They're going to be our spies. Nice. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let them live. I can go next. Um, I'm, it's funny. I'm actually torn on how to rate the season as a whole. Um, Because I look at episodes like the tragedy, the rescue, Mm. um, the Marshall, I'm like the Jedi. Like those are all like nine plus for me. Um, and then there's a couple that are probably a little bit lower. So I'm, I'm like going back and forth a little between like somewhere around eight and nine. I think I'm gonna split the difference and I'll land on like an eight and a half out of 10 for the season. Um, but boy, like the highs are highs. Yeah. Like they rated my, uh, up there with some of the best Star Wars television we've had. And I'm including that with, you know, the heights of Rebels and Clone Wars. Um, but, you know, Tom, I, I like this this trend you've got going here. So we've got uh, nine Womp Rats that are hanging out with, you know, Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, um, obviously getting ready for the Book of Boba Fett. My eight and a half Womp Rats are actually hanging out with Ahsoka, getting ready for the Ahsoka show, where they'll play a pivotal role in rescuing Ezra and finding Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I take it that's why it's only a half of a Womp Rat, because one of them kind of didn't, uh, well, see, one of them went down a wrong path. This is, it, no, it's not a Tom, don't be absurd. This is, we're talking about Star Wars. This is, everything's a reference. So Got it. the half Womp Rat was actually with Ezra and Thrawn on the bridge of the Star Destroyer at the got end of Rebels. It. And as the ship got sucked into wherever it went, half of the Womp Rat went with it. And the other half is with Ahsoka and right. is waiting and is on this epic journey to recover its other half. 
right, and you might which, think it's like it's a womp rat like Darth Maul style where it's missing the back half. No, it's split down the middle. There's a front leg and a back leg, and it's trying to find the other front leg and back leg. And um, don't ask how it works. It totally does though. But but you see, I can also see it to where it's the one that's got the tracking device, so it's going to actually help Ahsoka uh, find them. There you go. Well, it's, you know, there's the left hemisphere. No, we're still on yeah. this, Tom. We're yeah. not going well, anywhere. Well, I, no, 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 William B. We're going William nowhere. No, there's no, a no, left no, hemisphere William. and a right hemisphere and a womp rat you know, in the just... brain. And that they can sense each other, and that's how they find each other. No Bail tracking device. <laughs> Bail us out. I, I just don't even know what to say. <laughs> um, no, I... Th- it, it, yeah, it, this is this is this is tough because I think on the on the on the whole, season two was much much more even than season one. You yeah. know, season one, as you guys said, really strong start, kind of a weak middle, really strong finish. Season two was pretty strong throughout. You know, I, I think if if I if I were to average out my 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 ratings over the last uh over the season it comes out to um 8.81 actually out of 10 um which is uh uh kind of kind of fun to see and i actually think it's a hell of a way to slice up a womp around i'll tell you that right and i think it actually is is pretty indicative of because i was actually thinking of what i would rate it uh, beforehand and it, it just shows you how how strong the season was overall right there was a lot of really really good uh good moments amazing stuff and it was it was funny as you guys were talking i was like ah yeah i kind of feel like it's yeah it, i feel like on the whole it was like when it, when it was when it was great it was like 10 out of 10 9 and a half, 10 out of 10 and no when it wasn't so great it was like maybe a seven um and i thought maybe i'll go you know is nine too high is is eight and a half seems a little low for me maybe i'll go eight point four five eight point seven five you know, uh, but no, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to round it up. Cause like, honestly, the show, it, it, it is everything we've been wanting as Star Wars fans. It's delivered on every level. Yep. And I'm, I'm so excited for season three. We don't know what's going to happen yet. It's going to be after the book of Boba Fett. Uh, so that probably means sometime in 2022, where it's going to be, you know, a little over a year wait for it. Um, but I'm so excited to see where they take the show and they've just done, an amazing job in the character development, the action and the uh, suspense and everything. So I'm going to give it nine Womp Rats out of 10. And uh, my nine Womp Rats, um, uh, after the conclusion of uh, the rescue, uh, the Mandalorian returns to Tython and sends his nine expert, expert mechanic Womp Rats to try to put together the pieces of the razor crest it's a it's a fool's errand and nothing's gonna like wow. it's not gonna it's not gonna work but those nine womp rats were they're, they're trying <laughs> oh man uh such uh, a tragedy if you're curious uh tom your your average rating was exactly a nine really uh-huh wow and uh steven your average rating was 8.625 so our Ooh. average ratings were Ooh. pretty much exactly on where we wanted to to rate the wow. episodes the, uh, so after the fact. What I'm what I'm hearing is that mathematically, we nailed it. We did. It we did. Yeah. It like scientifically it. proven how good Mandalorian season two is yeah. right here. And and it appears I nailed it right on. Right on, Tom. You were the closest, but wow. we were all like right around where we thought we would. We would know that's great. It's pretty funny. It's not just about averages, but it is kind of fun to look at and, yeah. and see. 
So, yeah. So, well, James, uh, you want to tell us about what's what are yeah. we talking about next? What are we doing Mandalorian's next? done. Where is there for the Iron Cannon podcast to go? Yeah. Well, how about a a, a, a galaxy far away, or maybe not so not so far away in in location, but you know, two hundred years ago in time. Uh, we're going to be reviewing the first book in the High Republic uh, era that just kicked off, um, Light of the Jedi. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll be back uh, in you know probably in like the next uh, you know week or two with uh, yeah. with our review of Light of the Jedi. All right. So Tom, where how are you doing on the book? I finished it. William, how are you doing? I just finished it. And I, I, I totally, I got a week. We'll do it. You got it. You got it, Stephen. Yeah, Stephen. <laughs> so this, this is basically like if, if this, if our next episode comes out like next week, I read pretty quickly. Uh, okay. If it comes out in like two weeks, I, I, I maybe didn't read so quickly. <laughs> in, your you defense, in your defense, in your defense, Stephen, you've been reading a whole bunch of other stuff. You were finishing up a series, so. Uh, you're, 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 yeah. And in fact, I am 33% through the book according to my Kindle. So I, I should be there. I, I enjoyed if it. I I'm looking forward to hearing. Pace. I'm looking okay. forward to hearing all of your I, thoughts. It'll be fun. I trust in you. You can oh, do yeah. it. And then I have some thoughts about this. So I, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts about the book as well. Yeah. Should be fun. Should be fun. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for, thanks for joining as always. And we'll be back, uh, whenever we finish the book. With our uh, <laughs> wow, way to put that on. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll be back soon with our review of Light of the Jedi. Thanks right. for listening. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncanoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.